0: welcome my world i'm your host kevin rutherford it is monday february 12th we are here live phone lines are open right now it's a free for all so jump in here and join us 855-950-3835 or hit the call now button on your app we'll get to your calls here uh, well as soon as they start coming in i have a bunch of odds and ends i can talk about nothing major today Uh, So jump in and join us. Uh, I almost missed the open to my own show just now. I was reading something, trying to get some of my notes together and realized it was time to get started. A couple things. Where do I want to start here? Still a lot to talk about with the Department of Labor rule. Uh, Who's an independent contractor and who isn't? I'm shocked that we have groups within trucking that are actually promoting more government control over small trucking companies, independent contractors. The majority of the trucking industry are very, very small trucking companies. We use a lot of independent contractors and this Department of Labor rule. If it goes through, is very similar to AB5, has the same B-prong clause, it's just written in a different way, but it's the same thing. Basically, that rule is interpreted to say trucking companies cannot use independent contractors to move freight that would change our entire industry. And that's just our industry. There are so many other industries in this country that use a lot of independent contractors. Here's the real crux of this. The people that support this kind of government control, because that's what this is, try to claim that it's they're doing it to protect people because people are being taken advantage of by these independent contractor setups when are we going to get to the point in this country where uh, adults can't be taken advantage of in a free market you have total choice nobody has to work as an independent contractor they choose to do it now many people choose to do it then figure out it's not all that easy they get behind on their taxes and i i get that so what that doesn't mean you throw out the whole system I think um, people are pretty aware of how I feel about lease purchase programs, but not once have I ever asked for them to be eliminated. As it stands, they are a legal use of the independent contractor rule in most cases. If there is a third-party leasing company, and yes, that third-party leasing company is probably owned by the trucking company. Most cases it will be, but it's a separate entity. And as far as the IRS has been concerned, that that is a legal use of the independent contractor rule under this ruling. It would not be. Here's the bigger issue. I think we need to use rules that allow more independent contractors at the very least. Leave it alone the way it's been for 40 years. But. This administration has been pushing hard to change this through the Department of Labor, the DOL, one of these alphabet agencies. Here's the bigger problem. Doesn't even really matter which side of this you fall on. Do you agree that we should have tougher standards and fewer independent contractors? I don't. I believe you should have a choice If you fall into a situation where you can qualify as an independent contractor, that should be your choice. But here's the bigger problem. Which one of these government alphabet agencies are you going to try to listen to and follow their rules? Because there's a whole bunch of other government agencies that don't agree with this. The IRS... Is the single biggest agency I've had to deal with this issue because this is a taxation issue this is mostly about taxes so the IRS has always been the agency to primarily determine who is an independent contractor and who isn't the IRS has always used their 21 question test And that 21-question test has nothing to do at all with what the company you are leasing to does. There's nothing in the 21-question about that issue at all. The 21-question test is more about control and who owns equipment and do you have a a chance for financial gain or loss. Those are the rules we've always used. I've dealt with those rules for 40 years. I dealt with them the second year I was in business because the IRS questioned me for using an independent contractor as a driver, and at that time, I was wrong. I owned the truck. The driver had no financial risk whatsoever, didn't own any equipment, and I was wrong. And after the audit, I changed that, and from then on, all of my drivers that I hired and put in my trucks have always been treated as employees. But I did lease on independent contractors as well. The IRS has allowed that forever. The Department of Labor is now saying, no, you can't do that. What about all these other government agencies that have a say in this? Not just federal either. You have states to deal with. I've dealt with many states that say, we don't care what the IRS says. For workers' comp, we think you're an employee. Or state unemployment. Sometimes steps in because one of these independent contractors loses their contract like we see a lot happening right now and they want to go file for unemployment and then the state steps in. This is the the problem with how big and out of control our government has become with all of these alphabet agencies that we are giving this power to that we don't elect. And every time an administration changes, these rules change, and it's easy to change them because they're not laws. These are rules or regulations put in place by people we didn't get a chance to elect, and we've given them way too much power. I think I have another story here um, about the same issue, really. Well, different issue, with the same, same problem. So, uh, new air quality standards could have downstream effects on trucking industry. Uh, just recently, the EPA announced a significantly stronger air quality standard. They are going to reduce the amount of fine particulate allowed. This is what we call soot. The new standard would lower it from 12 micrograms per cubic meter, which is really clean, to 9 micrograms. So here we go again. Now another government alphabet agency that we don't get a chance to elect, the EPA, is now going to enact even tougher standards on soot and particulate, which means the OEMs have to go back and figure out how to reduce this again. This is uh, our our entire government anymore is run by these um, appointed, not elected bureaucrats, and they have way too much control over our lives and our business. Um, Let me check. We've got some calls coming in. Uh, I'll get to those calls here in just a minute. They are starting to come in. Um, Also, one of the things I'm really kind of keeping an eye on, Um, Just what's going on in the industry as far as rates and volume. Um, Still a lot of weird news going on. Some things we expect, some things we really don't. Um, U.S. Bank Index, here's a headline, sees largest ever freight shipment volume drop. Now, what they are comparing was the fourth quarter of 2023 to the fourth quarter of 2022, and the, um, the volume of shipments was down almost 16%. That's a lot, and, and we're just starting now to feel that, um, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that. Going along with that, here's another uh, headline. Trucking authority correction accelerates. Um, We've lost 12% operating authority over the winter. 12% of carriers with their authority gave up their authority. But if you think about those two numbers, if volume dropped by 16% and capacity dropped by 12%, then that would still be an imbalance problem is it's really hard to get your hand your hands around capacity um, a truck might give up authority but maybe then go leased to another carrier we don't have a lot of uh, we don't really have any ways to track some of these numbers so a lot of this is still up in the air uh, most of what i've seen uh, as far as economic news is not looking all that great so I would expect that we are still in for a pretty rough uh, 2024. Um, what else do I have here? Oh, this one makes me crazy. So there is a company, and I, don't, I haven't really followed this company much, but uh, called Range Energy. And it looks like they're building electrified trailers. It, we've talked about this, and, I, and I'm, I'm all for this. I believe that trailers could become their own rolling power stations as we improve uh, solar panel and battery technology. Both of those areas have continued to improve over time. They will continue to improve over time. If we get solid state batteries, I've said that will be an absolute game changer. Um, Solar is a viable piece and when you look at a trailer, it's a perfect platform for like a rolling power station. Put solar panels up on the top. Put batteries on it. Now, we have some weight issues. I get that. But there are a lot of operations where we could deal with that. Now, this trailer can uh, help power the truck. We could, you know, if you're parked at a dock, there, there have been models where um, companies that own their trailers, these things become, you know, rolling power stations when they're all parked at the dock they could be powering the facility itself we're not there yet but we're getting close here's what i hate about this i've said it many times i'm going to keep saying it so a typical van trailer right now actually the prices have come way way down where you can buy some new van trailers under forty thousand dollars again now this is a van trailer turned into this rolling power station i couldn't get a lot of um, details on the technology itself but here's this trailer is eligible for up to a hundred and twenty thousand dollar voucher $120,000 a hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of tax breaks if you buy these trailers. This is what has to stop. They have to stop using our money to fund companies to experiment with this. If companies want to break into this market, they need to figure out how to do it without using our money to do it. This is insane. A, an electric truck gets like up to a tax credit in a trailer, $120,000. These numbers are just purely insane. There's no way we should be handing out this kind of money. This is the mess that the the government's making of the whole electrical issue, and this is why it drives me a little crazy. All right. I I had a couple other things, but I think I'm going to get to... get to some calls let's get started in florida jay or shane welcome to the program
1: morning kevin how are you doing buddy
0: doing good what can I help you with today
1: i sent an oil sample morgan just poured it to you i believe uh, just wanted some help with it this is the first one i've ever done so it doesn't look like a rainbow so i guess that's a good thing it, this is a really good
0: oil sample, um, but we'll go through it and explain why. I'm missing a couple things, though. Um, what year is this? It's a 24. And how many miles are on the truck itself right now, or when the sample was taken?
1: On the truck itself, when the sample was taken, there was 55,000, and that would be 25,000 on that oil
0: sample. Okay. Uh, you can now shift to, I believe, the X-15. What is your standard oil change interval? Like 60,000, I think?
1: It it goes per fuel mileage. That's how they base it. Well, so, like, the, well let me I ask
0: you a question. Hold on, though. Let me ask you a question. Basing oh, okay. oil change intervals on fuel consumption is one of the most accurate ways to do it. That's why the OEMs do it. Are you going to do that, though? No, I have not done that. That, then don't talk about so that. It's got
1: an OPS on it.
0: Right. So okay. you're not going, that is a better way than random mileage, like 60,000 miles. And the OEMs do it. I don't know of a right. single owner operator or fleet that does it that way. Not one. There might be somebody out there, but I don't know gotcha. one that does it. It would be a more accurate way, but there's an even better way. You just okay. mentioned it put the OPS on take oil samples and we change the oil based on the oil sample itself that's the best way
1: gotcha so and that's what I plan on doing that's what I got it's got an OPS good. on it, so we're good
0: um, my guess is you are easily going to go 75 to a hundred thousand miles between changes and probably more um, this engine looks like it's tuned well yeah it's running really well we don't see even though this is new we don't see a lot of break-in metals at all that's a really good sign Mm -hmm. Um, and the couple of things that they did flag here are meaningless Um, potassium at 20 is is nothing and we don't really have any sodium so that's we don't really need to worry about that the one next to it to the right boron actually everything to the Uh right of potassium on the sample at the top line okay. ignore it completely i yes. wish they would just take that section off it, it's a meaningless section it doesn't That's do us any good you said. yeah you, you just take that whole section off and ignore it the only other thing they flagged was okay. your base at 3.15 this will probably be a truck that you need to add base to so figure out if you want to use luber finer filters there are filters that have base in them that you can spin on or you can buy a, a tbn right. booster pittsburgh power sells one um hot Shot secret i think sells a tbn booster um just once in a while you're going to put okay. some extra base in this but uh, i have a feeling you're going to be able to go quite a while on your oil changes
1: Okay I did put about three quarters of a gallon after the sample was taken um, so I kind of figured that would raise the base a that, little bit that will when you and, use
0: the base additive and three isn't really that ahead. low so they did flag it but okay. three you're still doing pretty good and then you put some extra oil in you're fine probably till your next sample.
1: okay when you when we do add base um, I believe what Bruce sells is a 64 ounce. Uh, jug of the tbn is it just you know that 64 ounce bottle per sample or how is no. that how now the ratio of that to, to there's a
0: there's usually a chart on the bottle that tells you add this many ounces okay. to raise your base by this many points so the range we probably okay. want to keep okay. our base in Um, You really, there probably is a point where you could have too much base, but it'd be pretty unusual. But I like to see it stay between 2 and 10. You know, if we drop below 2, we're starting to get in a point where we want to be careful. We really never need more than 10. So on the bottle, look at the chart, and you are currently uh, at 3.15. And on the chart, it will say add this many ounces if you want to bring it up this many points. And the most I would ever put in would be something okay. to bring it back to say ten.
1: Okay, good deal, awesome.
0: Anything well, that's else all today? I had
1: this morning, I appreciate your help with that and then helping. It. That's it.
0: Thank you for explaining that to me. You're welcome. Uh, congratulations on getting started on an oil analysis program. It's a great way to go. Speaking of oil, uh, coming up at the top of the hour, um, I will be joined by somebody from Shell Oil to talk about oil and viscosity and cold weather use and some other things. Um, I I have said for a a long, long time, one of the areas that I've never really worked with any kind of a sponsor at, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, There was a time where I did. I was going to say I don't work with oil companies. I've never had an oil company as a sponsor, but that's not true way way back 20 some years ago probably uh, i did work with a company called royal purple for a while and i really believed that that was a better oil it was a premium oil i got good results with it i actually saw some fuel mileage improvement but that was compared to this was a synthetic and i was comparing it to a standard oil we expected that you should see some improvement but over time, I had to be honest and say, "Look, I, I can't really tell you that this oil's any better than any other oil." I, I wanted to believe that it was. It seemed like it should have been better. Um, honestly, every time I try to prove, you know, one oil might be better than another, I worked for a little while with Schaefer's, another um, kind of small boutique oil. I, I really couldn't find a way to measure a difference and prove to anybody that those oils were better. And they were more expensive. And, and at some point I would say, look, I, I think I got this wrong. There really is no, no real sense in spending extra money for these uh, you know, smaller kind of boutique oils that are supposed to be better. Because I can't prove any way that they are better. And many times I've said, look, if I had to make an oil recommendation, it's hard for me to have an oil company as a sponsor because I would say this all the time. I don't know how you prove one's better than the other. And I almost always default to, I would just use Rotella. Great oil, been around forever, uh, easy to find, well-priced. And if I had to pick something, I could say Rotella has more zinc than many oils. Um, John Walco was the one that told me about this, that in race cars, you would think they would use some crazy exotic race car oil. No, he said most of the race teams he knows use Rotella. And that's, that's an oil designed specifically for diesel engines, but he said they really like the extra zinc. Um, it's protective of the parts. I'm not sure we could ever prove it's enough um, to really matter. But if I had to pick anything, uh, so that's why if I default to anything, it would be Rotella. So we'll talk about that a little more at the top of the hour. Phone lines are open. Um, we actually just lost a couple calls. Jump in and join us, 855 Let's go to North Carolina. Jamel, welcome.
2: Hey, Kevin. I had a question about um, some specs on the uh, truck. I was curious. I'm sorry. I was just outside talking to the uh, guy loading the, uh, my truck, All but right. um, I was curious. Have you ever heard of a gear ratio as high as a 127?
0: 127? On the Volvo? No.
2: Yes, sir. 127.
0: No. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was uh, looking at yeah, I was looking at a Volvo, and uh, I had put the message on the I had put the message on the uh, website. And Herschel got back with me. He said the lowest he ever known was here go to I think 195 at the highest here at go. And I said 127, but it's in a, it's an NFI truck, and the it, the truck appeared that it's um sorry cut this off. The truck appeared that it's um that is for fuel economy. You get the wide base thinger, short wheel bass. Um, so where did you see this truck? It, but I got thrown off. Um, it's on NFI website.
0: And the, N-fi, the trucking out, I company? Know, of,
2: um, yes, one of their trucks.
0: And and are they selling it?
2: Yeah, they selling. Yes, sir, they're selling
0: uh, I want to go look and see if I can even find this.
2: So you can just type up NFI Trucks and uh, yeah, they'll here's, come up.
0: Yeah, here's their website. How and would I find it on their website once I'm there?
2: Um, I just went to Trucks on um, my phone. I just went to... um. Let's see. I just typed up NFI Truck
0: Sales.
1: Oh, let me try that.
2: I just clicked on, on my. Okay.
0: I, I want to see this, so I'm... I'm. Uh, let's see. There we go. NFI Truck Sales. All right. These. right. I'm assuming these are going to be the sleepers.
2: They have yeah, day cabs
0: and sleepers. The Volvos. Yeah, there's a Freightliner. There's a Volvo. I
2: put, I put in the Volvo for the make. They're the blue Volvos.
0: Yeah, so I see them. They're not showing me right here the, uh, the ratio. It doesn't say the ratio on here. Yeah.
2: When you um, try, if you, if you could, try clicking on it. Because when you okay, click me... on it, that's when they give the ratio. When you oh, there click on go. the truck, you're looking
0: okay. at 1.27 with a 12 speed. I would have to believe that this, they would only match this. I wonder if this is a mistake. That's what I was wondering.
2: When I talked to the salesman, of course, you know, couldn't get good information from him. Um, but I said, I don't know. I, I've never heard of a ratio that high before. So.
3: Well,
0: I'm t- I can't even do the math in my head. I would have to break out my calculator. Clearly, you would only match this to a direct drive transmission, but even that sounds like it would be way too high. They're not using the 13 or the 14 speed, and there's no way that 12 speed has a low enough gear, I don't believe, to ever create startability. Now, if this had the 13 or the 14 speed, then, well, maybe. Maybe they managed to pull this off, but that this number sounds way too high of a ratio um to make any sense to me with that especially with the 12 speed i'm going to send um joel a message and see if he um if he knows i'm thinking this might just be a mistake i i've never like i said i do remember that they were just starting to break into the ones but it was like 1.9 something and when you look at that, that's not all that far from the two sevens we've already seen once in a while. But I, I can't imagine how this could possibly work.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, I'll just. I could be wrong, but I I, I, I have to and, uh, believe
0: we would have talked about this at some point, or I would have heard about this at some point. Right. But-
2: Exactly. That was the same thing I was thinking. And, uh, like I said, Hershey said, that was the lowest, he, I mean, the highest he ever heard was, one, I think he said 195. Yeah, it was um,
0: something in the 190 on the, on the range drive. that I remember, right? Okay.
2: Okay, okay. All right. And well, I meant to uh, call in Friday, but I got a little busy, and I wanted to listen to the show actually Friday night. But um, my next question was... Uh, a website, do you know any type of website for like um that can give me like a list of all the shippers? Every time I try to type in the search engine, I, they keep giving me trucking companies. So I was curious, do you know of any type of website or anything where I can access shippers, if it's anything there, that even exists?
0: There, there are some lists, but what you're trying to find just by searching and finding a free list. It, If you find anything, it's either going to be not very accurate, not very comprehensive, stuff's going to be out of date. The reason being, putting together a list like this is a lot of work. There are lists out there, but you have to pay for it. Right, right. You can go buy these kind of lists all over the place. Right, right. But trying to find a free list, uh, yeah, probably not worth it. I've never been able to find anything that makes any sense or has any value.
2: Okay. Okay. Cool. I I can okay. remember. I can remember, and,
0: uh, I, I can I, remember uh, when I when I first uh, started my brokerage, uh, I went out and spent a couple thousand dollars. I remember um, for a list, and they sent it to me. I'm thinking CDs may have just started coming into the computing world at that time, and I think I got a list on on CDs. But I, I spent a lot of money on it. Hey, and honestly it was probably worth it it was a way for me to because as a broker you you got to bring in freight i mean it's not even an option that's if you can't go find freight you don't have a business you know as a small carrier we can always use a broker use the load board whatever but as a broker if you're going to make it you've got to go find customers and freight and that was the only way i knew to do it other than what i was doing which right. was driving around you know um, industrial parks, knocking on doors, making cold cold calls, but that's a tough way to go too.
2: Okay, okay, okay. And uh, well, thank you. And I just want to tell you, um, I'm uh, I'm gonna sell my house. Um, gonna get a good deal on it, and that um actually that'll put my SPI I be up at a fifteen, maybe even sixteen, but um that'll put me up there. So. You know, you can guarantee my success, so that's what I'll be doing. She said she should have it sold by April. So after that, I'm just going to live out the truck and just work. I'm <laughs> just going to live out the truck and just work.
0: You know, in a market like this, and if you're capable and willing to do that, that's a pretty darn strong strategy. It, it It's almost – here's my take on this. It, it would be almost impossible to put a single guy – who is willing to do this to just sell everything and live in the truck? It would be almost impossible to put them out of business.
2: Right, <laughs> exactly.
0: I mean that—that that is such a powerful strategy. If you can do it, if you're in a situation where you could do that, it, that's pretty darn hard to argue against.
2: Yeah, this. Um, I mean, my mind been made. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I really have, but I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I told you I drove. I drive a Heartland. Heartland really been. Spoiling me. <laughs> oh, no <laughs> doubt. Been spoiling me, making it. Yeah, they've been making it too good to be true. Like I told you in the past, you know, I do six figures. I train guys over here, and uh, it, they just been too good to me. But like in the book, I told you also. Um, I, I don't remember the name of the book, but uh, I've been being a dodo bird. You know, I oh, done yeah. got too complacent. I done got too comfortable, right? And uh, I got to snap out of it, and <laughs> I got to snap out of it and go do exactly what I know my own passion is for it. so yeah I'm just gonna I'm gonna let my house go. I'm never there anyway, so the house just sitting. and I'm just gonna let it go and uh, sell it and um I bought a Duramax um and I didn't know that I bought the truck. I didn't know I didn't look up the gear ratios. I didn't know but the ratio on that was low, three seventy three three 373. And um I was having some emission problems. I'm gonna tell you what I did. I was driving the truck at about 53, 54 miles per hour, and it had me right around 1,000 RPM, and my emission problems went away.
0: You know, when, <laughs> when we run those lower RPMs, we actually build more heat. People might get confused heat, right. about that. You might think the faster that engine's turning, higher RPMs would generate more heat, but it's the opposite. It's actually lower RPM that generates more heat and we need heat in these emission systems to keep them alive that's what helps us keep them clean right
2: I remember you that's what you said and uh, I was driving I, I stayed at run like I said 53 54 55 and the issues went away it was something going on with the death system and uh, I said I'm gonna try this so I take it to the shop and I was driving it like I said 53 to 55 and no issues it went away I haven't had issues out of it since then, so that's what made me, I'm like, 373? Yeah, so I'm thinking about giving that back to the dealership, too. I'm
0: okay, thinking,
2: so. Because I'm actually on the upside. I'm on the upside of my truck. I'm not upside down, but I'm on the upside on it, though. So,
0: so I, I, got a, I got a verification here from Joel. I figured this was the case. Somebody at NFI who's keying this stuff in is dyslexic. It's not 1.27. It's 2.17.
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, that. Okay, that, thank you. Yeah, that math was not working no matter how many ways, and that oh, two point two seven. That Joel just corrected. Two point two okay. seven okay. with a direct drive, which is what I said it had to be with these kind of ratios. But that that number doesn't even make sense. I don't think we could build a differential like that. Okay well
2: all right kevin that's what i needed i so appreciate you thank you
0: you're welcome thanks for the call yeah that uh you know it's interesting that um they've got those numbers up on that website and i wonder how many people either just don't even realize that that's not really possible or that it's um so wild out there you would think that this would have been corrected by now Um, They have it on an awful lot of their truck listings. Uh, And Joel says that's a pretty common fleet spec. Um, Some of these trucks, though, like I said, boy, um, I am seeing there's some 2017s in here that are going for as little as $24,000. How many miles are on this one? Uh, Oh, that one got sold. Let's, here's another one for 27 still quite a bargain. Um, oh, that one got sold too. All the, the uh, really cheap ones seem to be being sold. Yep, that one got sold. Oh, well, there's a problem with their website too. No matter what truck I click on, it says it's sold. Here, try this one, and then I click on that one, and that one says it's sold too. Um, all right, uh, I just looked. We don't have any phone calls. What's going on today? phone's working that's pretty unusual um i've got a guest coming up in about 20 minutes so i am gonna hang out here either way um i've got some things i guess i could talk about but if you want to join us it is a free for all 855-950-3835 usually monday calls are busy um kind of odd today jump in and join us uh Some updates, some things we've got going on. I am hoping we're going to have a meeting um, this afternoon. We do have a meeting this afternoon right after the show about the CMC. It's all hands on deck for that right now. But at the same time, we've got to finish up our broadcast app. And we're getting very, very close. I'm hoping maybe today we'll actually do some testing. And at some point, I may come on the air and just say, um... It's not going to be a scheduled show. We might just jump on live and say, hey, we're here live, we're going to test this. Let's see how things work. So I'll keep you updated on that. CMC, um, if you are interested in coming, I would sign up quickly. Um, The last time I looked, and we are still five weeks out, we had sold about a third of the available seats already. So, Tickets are selling, seats are filling up. We only have 200 seats, and we can't change that. We're, we're locked in. That's the room. That's our budget. We're trying to stay under a budget. We're having a hard time. Prices have gone crazy on things. Um, so 200 is it. And uh, if you want to get signed up, you're probably going to want to do that pretty quickly. You can sign up on the MATS website itself. So you register for MATS, and then you choose the CMC as an add-on and uh, register right online. So uh, if you haven't heard me talk about the CMC, you've probably heard me talk about it over the years. Um, I started the CMC in 2005, was the first year I did one. Back then it was a two-day program. It was $750, um, and I was the only speaker there. That was a great program. I was doing one every month in 2005 and about half of 2006, and then that got to be just way too much work um, doing one every month. So um, I think the first year we went to two a year, When we switched it, we made it much bigger, opened it up to more people, made it two a year. Then we started adding days to it because there was so much content that I wanted to put out that two days wasn't even close to being enough. We made it three days. Three days wasn't enough. We made it four days. Four days wasn't enough. And the last several years of the CMC, 2018 was the last year we did it. So that was a program that we did for 13 years straight. 2018 was our last one. It was also our biggest one. It was five full days of content with about, man, if I remember right, I bet we had 15 to 20 speakers. I spent 30 hours plus on the stage. Uh, we had 400 people. It was a big, big event. In fact, it was too big. Um, we didn't lose money on it, but in essence, we did for the amount of time We had to uh, commit to pulling that off. Um, We really did lose money on it. So we decided to rethink it. And I wanted to be able to add more material, but we were already at five days, which is too long. It's too expensive. It's too hard for people. But I still had more material I wanted to add, a lot more material. So we came up with the idea of doing a hybrid, um, a live event with... Um, virtual webinars throughout the year. So the CMC will now be a one-year program. So at MATS, we will kick it off and you get an opportunity to learn. You'll have a day and a half of good material, a lot to learn, but you'll also get to see what the whole program is all about, the entire year-long program. And honestly, I'm going to be teaching everything I've learned in 40 years of how to operate a truck as profitably as possible and then become a carrier and and grow a fleet everything's covered from from the very beginning do you have enough money are you ready to buy your first truck how do you do it right all the way through to how do we now become a carrier and grow this to a fleet um so Get signed up. Those tickets are going to go fast. Now, for the entire year program, we will be able to take in more than 200 people for the rest of the year. So even if you don't get a seat here at Louisville, doesn't mean you've missed the whole year. You haven't. You'll still be able to sign up for the program, and you're not going to miss anything. So even if, you're, if you can't make it to Louisville or we sell out, which I'm pretty sure we will, and you don't get in, you'll still have a chance. So I'll be talking about that more after um, the truck show is over. Right now, our focus is on this day and a half. Uh, It is prior to the truck show starting. The truck show starts on Thursday. The CMC is Wednesday all day and Thursday morning, and then you can walk right into the show. But um, some people were surprised they didn't realize um, you need to be there at least a day early if you're coming to the CMC. We will kick off uh, early Wednesday morning. We don't have all of our details and times yet, but uh, stay tuned for that. So get signed up. I'd love to see you there. It's going to be a great program. Let's uh, let's get back to some calls. Let's go to Kansas. Ernie, welcome. Yeah, um, see, I've, I've
4: got an old, old uh, white CMC. I finally got it set up, and uh, it's got a Detroit 12-7 in it, and I was having a lot of trouble getting the boost sensor to work and stuff, but I finally got it working, and I got it tuned on Friday uh, from Pittsburgh Power, and it really has a lot of power now, but uh, I'm and, this was that way before the boost pressure. The only way I can get the fuel mileage instant reading gauge to get over six is if I keep the boost under ten pounds. That I've I've got a, a cat and a Cummins and and you know I can keep them fifteen or, and and get above six. But this one is. Does that sound normal, or might I have a leak?
0: so there are way 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 too many factors here for my for me to try to figure this out just from a boost reading boost is just one thing now one of the okay. things i can tell you is anything about that truck whether it, it's some aerodynamics some rolling resistance on the tires mechanical resistance through the drive line anything like that can require more boost to make the vehicle go down the road this isn't a this isn't a straight line calculation of any kind there's no way I could ever put a calculation that says if you're using this much boost you should be getting this much fuel economy that calculation doesn't exist boost is an indicator but not enough that we could dig down and compare this to a different truck and say, well, this is why this one needs more boost. There's just way, way, way too many factors. But something about this truck sounds very inefficient. Something about this truck is not set up well at all if it, if it takes that much boost and you're still in the, the five mile per gallon range. I mean, that doesn't sound good at all.
4: Yeah, if I, as long as I keep the boost under 10 pounds, it's, you know, 7, 8, 6. Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. Hold, it, hold, hold, Ernie, hold on. Way. Ernie, hold on. Here's one yeah. of the problems. You're going to have to get a lot more specific about this. When you say if I keep it under 10, it's it's 8, it's 7, it's 6. It, there's 2 mile per gallon spread there you're telling me about. You've got to get much more accurate about measuring this and not being so generic i mean we'll never figure anything out if you tell me if i stay under 10 pounds of boost i could be getting eight miles to the gallon or i might be getting six miles to the gallon that's just all over the board we can't learn anything from that
4: well that's on the instant reading the average is like i i can seem to get over six you know average
0: what is um, what I, is the lifetime average fuel mileage you've tracked on this truck?
4: I've only been driving it two weeks. I just got it in the service, so I I just was. It just seemed weird that if I got so you know just uh, instant reading at 10 pounds of boost, it was so, such low fuel mileage. So here's what I'm like trying, my Caterpillar Ernie. Here here
0: listen to me again stop trying to figure this out from one reading boost you're never going to figure it out stop trying to compare two trucks against each other with just boost way too many variables my bigger question is what if you've only had this truck for two weeks what caused you to buy this truck
4: i i got it for 450 dollars
0: Okay, so if you want to improve the fuel economy, let's start talking about the specs, not just one reading, which is boost. That, that, in this case, that's not telling me much of anything other than there's something very inefficient about this truck. What are the specs?
4: Okay, it's, it's got the 1270 Detroit, it's uh, got a super ten speed, and it's got 370 rear end.
0: And how fast are you driving it? At uh, 60. and at, something is horribly wrong if this truck would drive at 60 and if it were reasonably specced and maintained you should be easily in the sevens not the fives
4: okay well and like i said i've always been six miles a gallon I do have... Ernie, Ernie, bottom, Ernie hold, hold is, uh, Ernie,
0: hold on a second. got to be more specific with me. What do you mean you've always been six miles to the gallon? What does that mean?
4: Well, well since I started running this truck, it's been it, like
0: 6.06. Well, you told me if you, you go more than 10 pounds down. of boost, you can't even get six.
4: Well, that's on the instant readout. I, I mean, they get... The average fuel mileage, guys. Like I've only fueled up three times, but I've got 6.06, 6.07, and and I just got it tuned, so I'm hoping that will bring it up. But I I was mainly just wondering about the boost and Stop. if I could tell if there Stop.
0: was leak. Stop! Stop, Ernie. How many times do I have to say this? No, boost is not going to solve your problem here. It's one number that we can look at occasionally. If we know all of the other stuff that's going on, we might be able to learn something from the boost. But I'm trying to tell you, in this case, ignore the boost for right now. There are 10 other things we could be focusing on, not boost. One is, why is this truck getting such lousy fuel economy?
4: Well, that's why I'm... Wondering if there, is, I'm going to check the charger or you know the charger cooler all for leaks. At, I just I thought at, well maybe you tell if it was leaking.
0: At like, sixty miles dryer, an hour, but, where where is the tack? uh at about
4: fourteen
0: five. So fourteen fifty. Yeah, there there's more going on with this truck. Boost is not the issue here um we just need to to get some more data on this truck to me at 60 miles an hour this thing should be doing significantly better than barely breaking six
4: all right so the the charge air cooler if it was leaking though that would cause so i need to get that checked i heard you guys talk about putting a a bag over the air filter and Putting a smoke machine to it.
3: Correct. I was
4: wondering, can you put just charge it with air without the smoke like that? Or does the air go through the through the motor?
0: Yeah, you can't test the you, you can't fire. test the whole system with pressure because you're gonna lose pressure past the valves. There's all kinds of places we'll lose pressure. Oh. When we pressure test we isolate okay. the charger cooler. We we, we plug off yeah. one end of the charger cooler, and we pressurize it through the other end. We're only testing the charger cooler itself. If we want to test the system, we need smoke, not pressure.
4: Okay. Yeah, I've pressured test them before, but I, just, I wasn't sure about that smoke thing, so I... Pittsburgh I'm Power. That or do, that done.
0: Pittsburgh Power can smoke test your charger or cooler. They do it all the time.
4: Okay. Well, I'm in Kansas, and I'm probably not going to get to Pittsburgh. But okay. Well, that tells me how I need to. I need to probably check that, and then get a little more fuel mileage since I got my uh, truck tuned. It may. It may do a lot better just after getting it tuned because. I just had it
0: tuned. I hadn't even filled up one. So. The, the, the tune it, will help. I it, don't it, it, it does, but there's, there are some other issues going on with this truck that we're going to have to try to work through. But the tune, I, I'm a huge fan of the tune on that twelve I've had them on my twelve sevens and I really, really like the way it drives. And it does improve fuel economy if you drive it properly. Let's, uh, let's go to Ohio. Scott, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Kevin. This is Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, well, um, I'm calling about a truck I'm buying. It's a 2017. You kind of triggered me a little while ago when you were talking about, I think, those NFI trucks, and I'm getting it for $25,000, Dean Freightliner.
0: Uh, okay. It's
5: got the D, and it's got the rear gear, 280,
0: 2.85. This is my a DD15, were, right? You what? broke up a second. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Go ahead.
5: So a couple of questions. I was hoping to know what RPM should I be aiming for on running that engine most efficiently? And what should I expect from miles per gallon?
0: So are you planning on spending any money to modify this if, if it were to need it? The reason I ask that is because when somebody says, what RPM should I be at for the best fuel economy? are you also then willing to change your speed? There's only two ways we can change RPM. We can either change the speed we run to be at a different RPM, or we can go in and change gearing somewhere in the drive line transmission, differential, tire size. So are you looking at possibly modifying the driveline, or are you just looking at what speed you should be driving at?
5: Just the speed. Absolutely. Just then want to keep things simple.
0: Then this uh, is really easy. Slower is better. I like that. that, I'm that, that driving you know, and, and.
5: About 60 miles an hour.
0: Yeah, and, and Joel just put up a great post today on, uh, on X, and he did a great comparison of really slowing down, and he calculated all the numbers revenue. Sure, if you're driving slower, you're going to get fewer miles in a day. We get that. It's not as much as most people think and he did the math and the math worked out to running 55 miles an hour and and he won't test it any slower than that because we really don't recommend going slower than 55 on the highway but at 55 the the sure. profit was pretty significant I mean a truck going faster would the only way they could make it up was just to drive more miles and more hours and the, the, the thing that people miss about this, and if you go look at Joel's post, you'll have a better idea. It's hard to do all these numbers on the air. The, the, the one factor that everybody misses when they think about this, if we say, well, look, if you slow down five miles per hour on this trip or this leg or whatever range we're talking about, you will save $300 in fuel. Well, their brain immediately goes to, oh, but if I drive faster, I could make $400 more in revenue. Well, that sounds like a good yeah. deal, right? Drive faster and make $400 more instead yeah. of saving 300 in fuel. The problem is, in Joel's example, right. you didn't need to make 400 more. You needed to make over $1,000 more in revenue in order for the profit to show up on the wow. bottom line you had to make like almost 1100 dollars more to have the same net profit because wow. we don't get to keep all of the revenue the revenue goes towards all of our expenses our savings doesn't when you save a dollar on fuel, the entire dollar goes into your pocket. When you say when you increase revenue by a dollar, you might only be adding thirty cents to the bottom line.
5: Well, I'm loving watching my settlements each week. Recently, when I finally, after about three quarters of a million miles on this truck, finally realized the perfect spot for the best mileage, and it's right around it's right around sixty. Yeah, most times, per- perfect. Let's spitballing it on that those numbers that i'm talking about do you think it's possible i could hit hit nine miles per gallon just spitballing it
0: uh yeah i do believe it's possible if a lot of other things are right if we've got the truck tuned everything's working the way it's supposed to we've got low rolling resistance tires we've got some aerodynamics on here um you have a platform that could potentially reach nine yeah okay
5: yeah that 2.85 got me a little excited because this one has. Uh, the, I'm in the 2012 Freightliner right now, and it's the, uh, it's the Eaton 10-speed automatic semi-manual uh, uh, automated, and it's got the 3.42, I figured with the DD or DT12 and a 2.85, it surely can get better than 7.75 is what I'm getting at. And, and I'm
0: thinking that that transmission should be the single overdrive.
5: Yeah, I couldn't find out yet. Like, I went by Freightliner and got the specs printed out, but it didn't.
0: Yeah, they never really tell. Uh, to know the transmission? You've got to take the model number off that spec and go look it up.
5: Oh, where do I go?
0: Um, actually, if you just take the the data you've got, that whole model number with all the RTO and RTO or whatever they I, for that's, um, that's not Freightliner whatever numbers they use to designate that transmission, take the entire number and just do a search online and what will come up will be what you're going to find is a gear chart that will give you the ratio of every gear in the transmission ah cool and then we're looking at that final gear we'd be looking at 12th gear and my guess is it's going to be something like if i remember it might be 0.84 on that transmission um anything other than one one is direct drive so when you see one, just the number right. one, no decimals, no nothing on a gear ratio, that is a direct gear. Once you go into a decimal that okay. is less than one, point seven, point eight, 0.8, those are overdrive gears. Anything more than one, um is an underdrive gear so that's basically how you know but if you take that transmission model number do a search you'll find the specs on it and you'll find that gear chart that shows us all the gear ratios
5: well that's just amazing information thank you so much
0: you're welcome i I appreciate you spitballing it with me yeah I, i think you've got a good one here i i like those numbers and you can't beat that price that's for sure uh there are some good cheap trucks all right uh we have our guest Um, I don't want to grab another call here Till I don't see the guest on the line yet Um, anybody want to let me know what's going on with the guest before I grab this call you know what maybe I'll grab it and wait and see what we're doing here Um, nobody's answering me I'm gonna go to the phones till somebody tells me differently let's uh, let's go to Alabama Ilya welcome
6: morning kevin how's it going
0: good what's on your mind today
6: um well i've been driving this is my third week now with my authority i just want to call in and let you know about my numbers uh just give you like an update of what's going on sure i uh, love that so uh yeah uh i don't know if you saw them on uh x i posted them on there i've been talking with a few people i'm still working on like the broker thing but uh um, I've been like improving what I can as far as like efficiency and uh, cost of operation, or whatever. Excellent. So for, I only have two weeks, but my first week, my cost of operation for everything, including like the maintenance fund and everything was $1. thirty-four a mile. And my fuel cost was 40 cents a mile because I was empty quite a bit that week. And that was only two loads. And my efficiency, my fuel economy, I mean, was uh,
0: 8.56 nice. per gallon. Good numbers.
6: And then the second week was a dollar forty-three a mile for cost of operation. The fuel cost was fifty-five cents a mile.
0: So, um, and you're not tracking any kind of a driver wage in here, right? In that, no. Okay, good. So we're looking at truck payment, insurance, maintenance, tolls, scales, fuel—all the typical cost of operating the truck.
6: Yeah, and then uh, I, I'm still like. Um, right now, I have a drive-in, but like I just want to keep options open, so I rented a trailer, so the are trailer rentals in there also.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say there's a couple things here that make it sound just a little high to me, but on a startup operation, this is outstanding. And what's more outstanding is you're tracking it already. You're two weeks in. You know your numbers. Um, and honestly, the fact that this is truck and trailer, we've got equipment payments in here. You're renting another trailer. Um this should still leave plenty of room for profit with today's rate.
6: Yeah, my my insurance was a bit high. Uh, my first quote for insurance was actually thirty-one thousand. I ended Whoa. up getting twenty-four thousand afterwards. Whew. So, like, it went down quite a bit. But still, like, I thought I thought I'd be like maybe twenty, maybe below twenty thousand for the year.
0: Yeah, insurance is um, a mess right now. But these these are really really good numbers. Just just keep in mind that um, the claim for the large fleets is they're spending about two twenty eight a mile. Now that includes a driver yeah. wage, so we, we've got to be fair about that. Mm-hmm. But um, at a dollar I mean, you are almost a dollar less per mile here. Technically, what we're saying is you could pay a driver a pretty decent wage and still make some profit on this truck. So you're going to be able to pay yourself uh, a good wage, and you've got great numbers here, and you're just getting started. Congratulations.
6: Yeah, thank you. And um, like the main thing I'm working on is still like the broker stuff. like my average rate on the first week was a1.75 a mile, and the second week was uh, 210 a mile, and then this week I'm shooting for like 250 average for everything.
0: Fantastic. Well, keep it up and keep us yeah. informed. These are good numbers. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good day, Kevin. All right. We, uh, we are moving on to our guest. I love calls like that. Um, I've been talking a lot about how, as much as there's a lot of bad news in the industry, volumes are down, rates are down, we're talking about a, a possible recession in the economy. I'm still a big believer in this is the time to start a business if you are ready uh, and i've been working with Ilya in my coaching program and he was ready and he pulled the trigger and he's two weeks in things are looking good all right it is time to talk about oil joining me right now is the uh, oem technical manager for shell global solutions karen Howman. karen welcome to the program Hello, thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here. We're, uh, we might be one of the few radio shows that really likes to talk about oil.
3: Okay, great. <laughs> I'm in the right place.
0: Yes, you are in the right place. Um, so we're going to talk specifically today about some uh, advantages of lower viscosity oils in cold temperatures, right?
3: Yes.
0: All right. How does that work? Tell us.
3: Okay, well, I mean, this is a great season for it. It's, it's the dead of winter, especially, you know, in the northern climates. And so, um, you know, we need to be conscious of our um, oil selection and, and what viscosities we choose to be able to, to help in the, the harsher climates during the wintertime um, with um, lower viscosity oils provide, uh, you know, benefits of extra protection when you're in a, in a cold climate.
0: So the idea behind low viscosity is it's going to flow better in these really cold temperatures, right?
3: That's right. So if you think of viscosity as the resistance to flow, so for example, you know, swimming through a pool of water versus swimming through a pool of molasses, you know, there's going to be a, a significant difference there um, that you would notice. So this viscosity... Um, The numbers and the viscosity grade define what temperatures the the oil will flow at and protect your engine at. And the lower viscosity, like a 10W30, which is the fastest growing viscosity grade for heavy-duty diesel engines, flows better at colder temperatures, flows faster, gets to the critical engine parts more quickly to be able to provide protection against wear and those types of things.
0: Um, you know, we talk about low-viscosity oils in, a, in another example. We've been doing it for years. E- even before the industry started moving towards lower viscosity, we, the big switch was going from 40-weight to 30-weight. Um, primarily, these 30-weight oils were designed for the newer engines, tighter tolerances. Um, we've always talked about this in the vein of fuel economy. So let's think about what you just mm-hmm. talked about. If you're trying to swim through water, there's some resistance there. Try to swim through molasses and think about how much more energy you would have to exert to get to the other side of the pool. And that energy would be fuel consumption in a truck. The, the engine parts themselves have to move through this oil and the oil creates resistance. And the lighter the viscosity, the less resistance, so the less energy we have to exert to go the same distance, right?
3: That's exactly right. So, you know, the parts move against each other with a film thickness in between. The thicker that film is, the more energy input required to get the parts to move against each other. And that energy input is your fuel.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we, we've we been a big fan of low-viscosity oils for a long time on this show. Um, we, were, we were experimenting with the 30-weight oils in older engines, um, and mm-hmm. there, there's some give-and-take there. In the older engines, you run these really light-viscosity oils. We found that they protect really well. You will probably burn more oil in the older engines. Thinner oil gets past the rings a little easier. You're going to consume a little more oil. Uh, not that that's necessarily a bad thing in the older engines. Um, the new engines are pretty incredible. These, I, you know, I, I go way, way back with diesel engines and every diesel engine I ever bought or owned, brand new, rebuilt, didn't matter. They all burn oil. They always have about a gallon mm-hmm. every 10 to mm-hmm. 15,000 miles on a, on a new engine. And then all of a sudden we started noticing that these modern engines, uh, they just weren't consuming oil anymore. And, and most of them don't know. That's right. Which is pretty incredible. I mean, that, that is such a, it took me a while to get my head around that, but we now see OEM engines with 50, 60, 70,000 mile oil change intervals. And when you get to your oil change, you're still full of oil. We're not burning any, even with these really lightweight oils, which is pretty incredible.
3: Yeah, we work hand-in-hand hand with the engine manufacturers as they're designing and improving their hardware systems. We're also designing and improving the oil. So while they're, you know, physically engineering out some of these problems, we're also providing o- oils that have, have higher performance and, and really facilitate those improvements. And we add those two together, there's just a synergistic effect that, you know, things are much much more different than they used to be. You know, for example, talk about oil consumptions one of the other things that contributes um, to oil consumption i wouldn't say it's it's as much as as um oil passing the rings but uh, you know oil volatility so our oils have gotten better and we've gotten lower volatility so there's there's less of kind of the light ends of the hydrocarbons burning off you know at the same time and couple oh. that with with like you said higher tolerances and um, better engine design you just get you know advanced performance.
0: Well, I learned something today. I didn't know this, that some of our oil consumption was actually kind of, correct me if I'm wrong here, is the oil almost like evaporating?
3: Some, some of it is. So we measure, there's a volatility performance requirement in the API standard specification um, that we have to be below a, a certain part of volatility. Oil consumption is a very complex phenomenon, and we don't understand it <laughs> as well as we wish we did. Um, it, you know, you're right, some of it is oil getting past the rings. I think that's probably the majority of it, but it's even more complex than that. And there is a, a small part of it where you know, have hydrocarbon molecules, um, the lighter ends, they do evaporate off okay. um, at, at high operating temperatures and high, uh, you know, specific surface temperatures can can contribute to that. Interesting.
0: Well, I'll tell you how far we've come on this. If I go way, way back when I bought my first truck, um, it did have a Detroit diesel on it, but it was the old, old-style Detroit diesel, the two cycles. And the joke about that engine used to be when you pulled into the fuel stop, you would fill your oil and check your fuel. Yeah. <laughs> That's, a, that's how much oil those things consumed. You were just like every time you stopped, you uh, yeah. would just pour a gallon of oil into that thing because you figured you'd need at least that much. And now here we are today. Um, the modern Detroit diesel virtually uses no oil whatsoever, or, or so little it's hard to measure. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty incredible.
3: That's right. It is. It is. They've come a long way. You know, part of that is also protecting the after treatment system additives that we put in the oil to keep your engine clean keep the deposits down and anti-wear we really don't want those um, combustion byproducts being you know deposited into the after treatment systems so um, if you use a good quality oil high-performing that it, it keeps your engine engine clean keeps the pistons and the rings clean and keeps the wear down then yeah you'll have uh, very little oil consumption
0: you know that's another good point. Something that that we weren't dealing with at one point, and we have a long history on this show of dealing with those emission issues on these on these engines. And the mid two um, thousands when we first started with the EGR mandate, then the DPF, then the DEF, and we had. Whole Horrible maintenance problems with these trucks. I mean, it, it, was, it was very disruptive to a lot of companies. It took us a long time to figure it out. Um, we are really past most of that now. I mean, we, we are now, th- there was a time where we did not recommend buying a new truck. We said, look, do, do anything you can not to mm-hmm. have to buy one of these trucks. Rebuild your old trucks, keep them running till we figure this out. Uh, we're there now uh, you, you can still buy some trucks that'll give you a lot of problems if they're specked wrong but if you're if you do the right things if you're specking the truck right operating it right like you said the oil quality now matters fuel quality matters um, everything we can do to keep that emission system clean is a really big advantage and i don't think a lot of people realize that the oil plays a part in that
3: the oil plays a huge role in that. If you've got significant piston deposits and sticking rings and those types of things, you're going to be getting an excess amount of oil going past the rings into the combustion chamber. And, you know, like I said, the the additives that we put in there are designed to stay in the oil. They're they're not designed to be you know, in the combustion chamber. And the, those combustion byproducts are can get pretty nasty over time. Yeah. Now,
0: you're touching on an area that I've talked about for a long, long time, and I've got pretty strong feelings on it. I've gotten a lot of debates about people with this. I, I am of the belief, after dealing with a lot of engines and a lot of oils for a lot of years, that my philosophy on oil is nothing goes into my crankcase except a good quality oil. I, I'm not a believer in oil additives. Uh, I I think in many times, they can cause more issues than they ever solve. Um, You just mentioned you've got a team of engineers that have been working on this stuff for decades, and you have your own oil additive package that does all the things we need an additive package to do. Um, To me, to throw in some random other additive package in there has never made a whole lot of sense.
3: No, um, and what people don't realize necessarily is the amount of effort that goes into designing these oils. We have a dynamometer engine testing that we do, and they cover different performance areas, which are kind of verifying the performance of, of different additives. And so it's a multivariate problem. You've got cleanliness, you've got um, anti-wear performance, and handling capability and in the additive package that we come up with is a delicate balance because sometimes one additive to improve one thing will offset the performance of another right. so for instance you know, take an antiwear; those are surface activated has surface activated chemistry the oil heats up that part of the additive package kind of finds its way onto the surface of the parts and Provides kind of a sacrificial layer um, to protect the part. Well, if you start adding different additives, if you add something else that's also surface activated, now your antiwear is going to be fighting for space against something else. So, yeah, you never want to do, you never want to add an additive to your engine oil. It's the additive systems are so so technical and so you know balanced that you might get the performance you're looking for, but it will be at the expense of something else.
0: That's the way I felt that, you know, like I said, and you mentioned it, the amount of work and effort that goes into that part of the oil formulation, these additives that all do lots of different things. It's really technical. It's really complicated. And the idea that we're just going to dump some oil additive in here and it's actually going to do something, Um, just beneficial is just not true. Like you said, you might get a benefit somewhere. You're probably going to give up something else somewhere else. There's a pretty delicate balance here.
3: That's right. Exactly right.
0: So I I do have one other question. I'm not sure if you'll be able to help me with this or not, but I always like to ask. um, We do a lot of oil analysis here. Um, My first call today, I did an oil sample, read it on the air, went through the analysis. I started doing extended drains on my trucks back in the mid-90s using bypass filtration that allowed us to filter down much finer, down to about three microns, using a heating element that actually allowed us to heat out some of the liquid contaminants that could get into the oil, and then testing the oil to see if it was still serviceable or not. And then basing our oil change, not on a random set of miles or fuel consumption, but basing the oil change on oil condition alone. Is this oil still serviceable for the engine? And if it is, let's leave it in there because it's expensive to keep replacing it. But we have to monitor this. One of the things that has happened in the last, oh, I would say it's been about five years or now, Um, It may have gone back to the last API classification we had. We started noticing one thing about these oils. The base isn't holding up anymore. These oils are performing really well, but we're actually at a place now where we are having people add base to their oil later on because the oil itself is still completely serviceable, except the base has gone down too low. And we can pretty cheaply add some base and just keep using the oil. But I, I, I'm wondering, is it the fact that our, our analysis isn't as accurate anymore, or are these oils coming with less base to start with?
3: When you say base, do you, do you mean the total base number?
0: Yes. Is yeah, that what you're looking TB, at in right. the oil analysis? Right.
3: And what are you adding as it, when you say you add additional base? What does that mean?
0: So there are two products I'm aware of on the market, um, and they are TBN additives. I mean, the design of this product is simply to raise the base. And what we're talking about, I, I make a joke all the time that technically you could grind up some Tums and put it in there. I tell people don't take this seriously, but that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about an antacid, something that neutralizes acid. And that gets consumed. The more acid it has to neutralize, the more of that base you're going to consume. So this has happened enough now that there are these products on the market. We are adding some sort of base. I I don't know exactly what their chemical composition is, but we're adding this to bring our base number back up.
3: So a couple of things there, and we just talked about, about adding individual additives, but you know, a couple of things there now. The the total base number in engine oils has changed quite a bit over the last couple of decades. We used to track base number as it gets depleted and asset number as it gets increased, and when the two crossed over, that was the end of the life of the oil. That's no longer the rule of thumb. And we can see Um, extended oil drain intervals with total base numbers, you know, down in the twos and Mm -hmm. tear the engine down and it looks beautiful. Okay. So the chemistry has changed and evolved over the years that you can't necessarily measure the serviceability of the oil um, based on the base number. Okay, interesting. Um, The base starting out often is lower and it can go lower um, than what we were comfortable with in the past. And that's just, and I'm not a chemist, I'm I'm a mechanical engineer, but I do know that the the chemistry has changed so that the, the total base number, and, and back to that multivariate problem, you know, we've been uh, changing and tweaking and working on these additives to be able to solve all of the problems, and, and it turns out that just the chemistry used now does not rely as heavily on on the base. Now, having said that, uh, you know, so when you're looking at an oil analysis, which you also want to look look at uh, in a situation like that on an extended drain is, you know, what's your oxidation looking like, those types of things and viscosity, are you, uh, you know, is your oil starting to thicken? But If you wanted to improve the base number, I think you're probably better off draining some of the oil and replacing it just with the fresh oil. You know, because that will boost your It'll boost your additives back up. Um, You know, it just kind of brings you closer back to to your start.
0: It's interesting that you say that. When we first identified this several years ago, there were no additives on the market for this. None that I could find. And our solution was, look, don't do a whole oil change everything about your oil is still really serviceable. We're we're a little worried the base is dropping a little too low. Uh, Drain a couple gallons out, freshen it up. That's that's way cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we used to do. And then I guess somebody saw an opportunity and and now we have a couple products on the market, but that was always our recommendation. Just drain some oil and Mm -hmm. freshen it up some.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Okay, good. Now, and again, I realize you're, mechanical not really chemical based on what i've studied if we do add some base it's a pretty simple process we're not adding a ton we tell people you know don't ever try to get it more than 10. there's usually a chart on these bottles and the chart will tell you if you add this many ounces you should raise your number by this many points Um, Mm -hmm. we tell people get it back up around five or six um, and then Mm -hmm. check again on your next sample um, I haven't been able to find anything that that would say that would cause any real problems.
3: With the additive.
0: Right, with adding base. I mean, it seems like a fairly simple process and we're not, you know, we're not adding more than the oil was designed to have. We're just kind of replenishing the base. Um, are you aware of any problems that could cause?
3: I'm not familiar with that practice because that's not something that we recommend. You know, I do know um, at a very high level that the total base number in the oil comes from things like our detergent systems and, and different additive systems. They all contribute to the base number so that it's not necessarily um, a separate additive. Oh, that makes that sense solely to offset acid and so you know because we don't rely on that type of strategy and I'm not familiar with those products I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to, to speak to that you know other wow. than to yeah. say you know if your base number was on two down around two and you wanted to bring it up to five and, and continue on I mean like I said I, our, our preferred strategy would be drain some of that older oil out of there freshen it up with some new oil you're going to add all of the other, you know, the dispersant and all of the yeah. other good stuff that you get on, on, a, on a fresh oil in there that, that's going to help you also without the danger of offsetting anything performance-wise.
0: That's a good way of looking at it, that, that when you drain a couple gallons, you're not just getting base, you're getting a, a freshening of the entire additive package.
3: That's right, and the base oil, and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. viscosity modifier, yeah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. We, we may go back to that as our preferred recommendation. Makes sense.
3: I think that's the safest strategy, not knowing what's in that additive or, or what, what other things could be offset or what performance you could lose. You know, I think the safest way is to just, just freshen up what you have.
0: Got it. All right. Well, I've certainly enjoyed this. I've learned some things today. Anything else you want to share with us?
3: Well, I just wanted to mention, since we were talking about low viscosity, we have a new product, uh, Rotella T610W30 full synthetic engine oil, and so it's designed for the low temperatures. It's also a full synthetic, so you've got really great cold temperature performance and, and volatility resistance and all of those things that, that we talked about, um, and uh, that's a, a new product we've launched in the last six or eight months.
0: Excellent. I, I think I was actually Somebody's just questioning to, somebody about that not long ago. I was wondering if you had a full synthetic 10W-30, and now you do.
3: We do, and you talked about fuel economy. Just really quick, I'll, uh, I'll uh, give some information for you and your listeners. You know, you can expect to see about a 2% improvement in fuel economy with a 10W-30 compared to a 15W-40. So just to kind of give you a little bit of context of what that improvement Okay. that look like just that viscosity change alone from 1540 to a 1030, you should expect to see about a 2% improvement in fuel economy.
0: Excellent. You know, one of the, one of the things we try to get across to people, we do a lot of fuel mileage testing, a lot of fuel mileage. It, it's a big issue for us here on the show, always has been. I've been working on fuel mileage on heavy trucks for about 35 years. And, you know, it, it like you mentioned earlier, the additive package. This can get incredibly complicated. Trying to track fuel mileage on a big truck, we've identified over eighty factors that could affect your fuel economy. So testing—not the
3: least of which is the driver. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, the driver is somewhere around thirty or thirty-five percent of of the impact, and that's big. I mean, I can't think of a, another factor that's that's one factor being that big. So you are correct. The driver it's a big part of that but we also try to tell people there are there are things that will improve your fuel economy that you will never be able to measure in your one truck operation there's just too many variables mm-hmm. and when we hear a number like this 2 to 5% that's proven but you can't prove that with one truck that that's proven over no millions of miles and and minimizing all the variables as much as possible but we love when we get a number like that and we know that savings is there whether we can measure it or not
3: that's exactly right fuel economy is extremely difficult to measure especially in that range and um, we have spent millions of miles to you know collect that data and come up with that two percent number and that's when you when you have an a large enough data set, you can kind of wash out all those variables and and see a real number, but you certainly wouldn't be able to see that in a single truck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, since it is winter and we're seeing some cold temperatures, one of the things I like to tell people to try is take a jug of that, you know, old school 1540 conventional oil and a jug of your T6 1030 and go outside, leave them, sit outside overnight and then go out in the morning and try to pour them. Watch what happens.
3: That's exactly
0: right. It's yep. pretty incredible. So well, imagine what you're
3: saving on your starter and your battery when you're, yeah, you know, when you're starting an engine up cold.
0: Yeah. And the, you know, we've always heard that statistic, a certain percentage of wear on an engine happens at startup because the oil's drained out of where it needs to be. The faster that oil can flow back to those places, the, the more protection you have and that old school 1540 at, you know, minus 10 does not flow very well at all.
3: That's right. So that first number is, is the cold temperature number. Now lower that number, 10W, 5W, 0W, the better flow you get at startup.
0: Fantastic. All right, Karen, great information. I love when I learn something.
3: Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Well, great to have you. Take care.
3: Okay, thanks, you too
0: all right um i am going to give you about two minutes to call uh let me go back through my notes and see if i have anything i can talk about for two minutes i could talk about the cmc for two minutes um but i'll wait and see if we've got some calls here let me see if i have anything left in my notes the number to join us 855-950-3835 you know what I think I'm gonna call it today I have a I have at least one meeting Um, I've got another meeting I need to schedule I've got some things I've got to take care of so uh, I'm gonna call an audible and we're gonna wrap up the show today so if you're dialing right now stop Uh, we're gonna put a lid on it for the day we will see you back here tomorrow for the power hour Uh, get signed up for the CMC that's my big message we have 200 seats I'm sure we're gonna fill them up. I wanna fill them up as quick as possible so we can get down to the business of putting this program together. I gotta gotta get seats filled first. So if you've been considering signing up, don't wait. You may wait too long and not have a seat. Uh, Right now we still have plenty, but let's fill those things up and uh, let's look forward to getting together here in Louisville in what, about five weeks now? It's gonna happen pretty fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.